0: My name is Ian Boswell. I was a world tour professional cyclist for seven years. Skyrider from the USA is a fighter. Well, Ian Boswell is turning up the cranks. Also the host of this fine podcast, Breakfast with Boz, being served by Wahoo. Breakfast with Boz podcast dives into the world of endurance sports, whether it's cycling, multi-sport, running, anything that inspires us to get out and move, we cover right here on Breakfast with Boz. Let's get cooking on Breakfast with Boz. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. I'm your host, Ian Boswell, in the kitchen with my daughter and wife this morning, I made a little egg scramble with some eggs, uh, broccoli, cheddar, and some pesto. And while there is nothing special about this breakfast, this will be one of our last breakfasts with our own eggs for a while because last night we had a chicken massacre. We lost 15 of our 16 chickens in one fell swoop. We believe... Probably some type of weasel um, got in there, but I was actually out skiing and I got back to my truck and Gretchen texted me and said, we lost all of our chickens. I think and I, I, said,
1: I think I said, we don't have chickens anymore.
0: <laughs> we don't have chickens anymore. And I was thinking, oh boy, well, the barn didn't catch on fire because she would have been more worried about the barn than the chickens. Um, Gretchen, what was your initial thought when you walked into the coop in the barn and saw that many dead chickens?
1: I didn't walk into the coop. I usually turn the light on in the morning and they do a little like waking up. Uh, And I heard nothing. And so I peeked down and I saw two dead chickens and then I I heard nothing else. So I knew they were all dead. I didn't even have to look. Um, Yeah, no, the weasel kind of like, I think he, I think it was a weasel because usually they like snap their neck and just suck the blood out. (laughs) Because... Yeah, Ingrid. Isn't it sad? We're sad over here, Um, but it's crazy because eggs are really expensive right now, and we're a little bit bummed about that, but we've got two dozen to work through, Uh, and maybe we'll have to get some baby chicks in the spring. Stay tuned.
0: Well, we are sitting on a lot of chicken feed, so uh, not only are we out... With chickens, we are sitting on a lot of food and egg prices have gone up. So we'll decide what we're going to do going forward. We were spared one chicken, which is great, but also kind of uh, kind of a little bit sad because now we just have one lonely chicken. Um, Gretchen wants to say more on the, the lone survivor.
1: Yeah, if anyone locally is listening to Breakfast with Boz and wants our lone chicken, she's very resilient. We haven't named her yet, but she would love a flock and uh right now she's in a dog crate as a pet but she needs a flock
0: yes our chickens have always been very social so we're gonna enjoy the last of what they have shared with us and giving us eggs for the last two plus years now um so i hope you can all take a quick moment to uh a moment of silence for our chickens (laughs) In today's episode, I am joined by professional triathlete Sam Long, who hails from Boulder, Colorado. He now spends a lot of his time down in Tucson, Arizona, but Sam was recently back home visiting some family in Colorado and took a trip to the Wahoo Sports Science Center to do a little bit of testing and get some physiological markers to find out where he excels, but more importantly, some weaknesses that he has. For any of you that follow triathlon, Sam is one of the top-ranked 70.3 triathletes in the world. He is still young. He is up and coming. He's been a name on the scene, and he is still itching and continuing to find ways to improve. We dive into the sports science. We dive into a little bit about his upcoming season, some things he's looking at changing. A fascinating chat to really kind of move away from gravel in this episode, but dive into a bit more of the physiology and some of the strategies that are becoming more commonplace in the world of endurance sports. So I hope you can all enjoy my conversation with Sam Long, and I hope you all learn something from this chat. So let's dive into today's episode with my guest, Sam Long. This is also the 100th episode of Breakfast with Boz. Uh, can't really believe that I've done 100 episodes over the last nearly three years now. Spoken to a lot of people, and I just want to take a moment to say thank you to everyone who has tuned in over the last 100 episodes, and here's to 100 more. Cheers. Mm-hmm. All right, once again, Sam Long. First off, happy
2: New Year, buddy. Yeah, happy New Year to you, Ian. It's great it's great to catch up again.
0: Yeah, well, before we uh look ahead, let's kind of go back a bit on 2022. It was, I mean, you had a successful season. You won some races, but you definitely had some up and down moments, especially through kind of the end of the year. Um Come and take us back. I mean, you're still a young athlete. You know, you're you're still, you know, I, I don't want to say an up and comer, but you're still, you know, you're still at the younger age of, you know, Ironman. Um, or I guess you know, multi sport because you're not doing just Ironmans, half Ironmans, and the PTO stuff. Um, but how do you reflect on your season of 2022?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I really think 2022 was a year of learning for me. Um, I I learned a lot. I made some mistakes that were my fault, uh, other things, I just also had some bad luck. And throughout all of that, I feel I learned a lot about how I want to race, how I want to train, how I want to run my brand, um, really just all around. And so in the moment, some of these periods were pretty difficult, uh, to swallow and, and yeah, just really emotional and hard at the moment. But now that I've had some time to process. Everything, I feel really grateful for the last year I had because I feel it's uh, given me the tools to be better going forward. And I learned some of these things at a very young age, which allows me to carry them forward for the next 15 years. So, uh, yeah, I'm actually just quite grateful for for the year I had.
0: Well, I mean, that's something that I've pondered a lot on recently is... And especially when you look at kind of more individual sports, you know, I guess in gravel cycling, you know, especially in multi-sport and triathlon where you sit, you know, you have a YouTube channel, you have a super engaged audience on on Instagram and, you know, all your other platforms. It's hard when you, when things are going great, it's easy. You know, when you're winning races and you're performing well and like everything's going to expectation, it's easy to like, you know, post fic- pictures and engage with people How do you manage that when things aren't necessarily going great? You know, when you have a race and you're like, I I mean, there's a couple times this year when you're like, I just need a few days to like digest this, think about things, you know, and that's also probably a huge learning experience for all athletes in this current age when, you know, kind of the whole social media, you know environment is all something completely new is that something you've learned just through trial and error of like taking some time and realizing hey I don't need to put up a video the day after the race I don't need to post an Instagram straight away about you know what happened good or bad has that been something you've you've learned over the last year
2: yeah totally I mean I think I learned two things from this one um, I would say I was uh, about halfway through 2022 starting at the end of 2021, I was severely addicted to social media as a person, as a human being. I was spending way too much time on that. I was letting my ego get involved in that. And part of that is because, you know, uh, at the start, I'm going even way back here to kind of the start of 2021. At at 2021, I had something like 10,000 Instagram followers. Um, I barely had a YouTube and so everything was kind of more based off interpersonal connection and then suddenly everything started blowing up and, and tons of followers and, and people putting their opinion in but 2021 was basically a dream season for me i i really didn't have any low points um i had also yeah just great luck that year and so it was constantly positive feedback and positive affirmation so i just went wow this social media thing is great and um and it kind of channeled me to put more into it and to feel like whoa this makes me feel good about myself um and so i hit the start of, of last year of 2022 like really with my self-worth and self-being tied a lot up into instagram and and then you know things started to not go my way i started to receive a lot of hate and and in the moment it was difficult um but it put me through a process to get back to where i was of like whoa my who I am is not caught up in social media. What people I've never met, what they say about me is not necessarily who I am. Um, and, and, I feel like now I've been able to come a little bit more full circle. And, um, obviously it's still social media, super important as a business. Um, it's important to be aware of what other people are saying. And I love interacting with people. And I still think social media is positive. And, um, but it's not caught up with my ego anymore. So. That was definitely a big thing I learned. I also learned yeah, through that like when you have a low point, it's really easy to not want to put anything up and to basically just act as if it didn't happen but uh I've committed to this journey and this process to show both the highs and lows and and actually a lot of people um as as athletes like we want to be invincible and we want to be perfect and we want to have that perfect winning season where we never lose and and everything works perfect, but as human beings we're not perfect and and Ultimately, I feel the purpose of an athlete is actually to inspire human beings. And so other people, uh, they want to actually see some of those failures and they want to see how you deal with that. And so I've learned to to put those up, but also to take the time to process it and to put it up in, in the right way, rather than just like maybe too emotional of a way right after.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, because every, every athlete, and I think every human knows sometimes saying something directly after some you know, a moment when you're angry or frustrated, like that's the worst, like you should just like put a, you know, 24 hour pause on like people speaking after, you know, whether it's a bad race or you get in an argument with, you know, your parents or your partner, um, you oftentimes say stupid things and I'm not saying you have, but I'm just saying like in general, cause I've noticed this as well with my own life and my own career. It's like when things don't go well, it's easy to like snap on something and you know, Oh, well this happened or this rider did this or, you know, but you take a, you take a deep breath and you're like, Oh, actually, you know what? Like there were things I could have done to, you know, put myself in a better position or I could have, you know, done this or that, that actually improved, you know, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, sport is a bit of a gamble, but oftentimes the mistakes we make kind of do fall back on us. But the initial response is like, oh, it's someone else's fault or, you know, it's this or that, not necessarily, it's easy to put the blame on someone else and not always ourselves.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think it's, that's true in sport and life. We always want to point the blame at someone else, especially when we're emotional and angry and upset, but, uh, it's important to have like a twenty four hour minimum rule to process it and then to come back with a little bit more reflection, I think.
0: Yeah. Well, looking back on on the past season, um, you had you did have some great results. What results stands out? And it doesn't necessarily even have to be a win, but what was your your highlight performance of the year in your eyes?
2: Yeah, so I think the best the best performance of the year was my performance at PTO Dallas there. I was third place. Um, it was also just a super exciting race. Uh, I really raced for the win. I was able to put down some massive power, a terrific bike ride and come off and get into the lead on the run. And I was able to almost hold off on the run, uh, even though my legs were pretty wobbly the entire time. And uh, it was just, I I feel like my result was third, but also it really helped. Uh, That was the first PTO race on US soil. And so it made for one of the most interesting and exciting races of the year. And I feel my moves were, We're a big part of that, but also I I really think the PTO middle distance races are pretty much the equivalent of 70.3 world championships. Now that's the type of fields they get. So it's, it's essentially a a podium finish, uh, in the world with everyone there. And yeah, that's the, that's the result I think was the best. I also actually, I had a great performance at this race in Poland, 70.3 Poland, which I went to and, um, I just put together a super good race, but the, it wasn't a world caliber field. So it's like, it's hard to compare and people don't really look at that, but it was my best run I've ever had off one of the best bikes I've ever had. And, and even after a swim deficit, that was really good. So I wish that race would have been like a a world championships because I was, I was on a mission that day.
0: Well, and one of the things you decided to do this past year was to not kind of pursue full length Ironmans, you know, to focus more on the PTO and the, you know, 70.3s. What's your thought process behind that? Is it, is it an age thing? Is it a development thing? Is it kind of mastering the, you know, the shorter events before you go to, you know, the longer full, I mean, you've done plenty of full length Ironmans before, but what's kind of the thought process behind that?
2: Yeah, it's, it's some of everything. So I currently feel I've done 18 full Ironmans and and I just turned 27. Um, nobody else has done that. And I don't, I don't regret the path I took. Um, when I started the sport, I was, I was 18 and in order to make a living, in order to make my name, in order to be a professional, I had to race Ironmans because it was what I was good at. And so I don't think if I would have, if I wouldn't have raced all those Ironmans, I honestly don't think I would even be in the sport right now because it allowed me to get the funding I needed to pursue this. Um, but I think I've done too many for a 27 year old to be frank and to be honest. And I think I need to, to almost take a step back and, and that way I can have my golden thirties at Ironman. Um, so that's, kind of one rationale it's also it's it's just working on my speed um it's i've kind of switched too i used to just absolutely live and breathe to wake up and have those that 140.6 mile day and right now my my mindset is i find it more fun to race the middle distance and so yeah, it's, it's some of everything. And obviously there's huge opportunities in the middle distance now as well.
0: Well, and this past year, I guess, especially in, in Conan, I guess at the, you know, the 70.3 world championships in in Utah, we've seen these, these two Norwegian gentlemen, um, just come and and kind of dominate. I mean, frankly, well. they're, they seem to be on a different level. Um, and a lot has been made about their training. And I want to get into, you know, your visit to Wahoo sports science in Boulder and kind of what you learned there about yourself and some of the testing you did um but how much has their influence and their kind of training you know theories and strategies how much has that trickled out not just to you but i guess to maybe the broader professional triathlon kind of realm of of athletes because it seems like a lot of athletes you know i know lionel sanders has switched coaches and went i mean it's easy when a couple athletes start performing well for everyone to jump ship you know this happened when i was at team sky the team was winning the tour de france and had all the best riders so everyone was like oh let's train like them but the best thing to do in that situation is to like hold tight and keep on your path because especially as a young athlete, it it is hard to, you know, believe in what you're doing. If you see these other guys doing something completely different and I don't know exactly your training, um, but how has their influence kind of changed the, the space of, of triathlon at the moment? Yeah,
2: this is a great question. Um, I feel, I feel their influence on the sport as a whole and, and their influence on, yeah, just the sport as a whole has been absolutely massive. Um, I see a lot of people, jumping ship and, and trying to do what they're doing and and even, you know, age groupers who are taking lactate readings out on the road um, when they don't even really have a coach who understands or can analyze it, that sometimes I think their influence is, yeah, everyone's almost bought into this hype and, and people always call it the hype train or whatever, But but it's not really hype because they are the best. But what is hype is everyone thinking that like maybe one or two details that they do is what makes them great when i think you really have to look at the the whole system and the whole athletes and you have to look at what they've done over a period of like 10 years they've been training really hard for 10 years um you're not going to see overnight success with their methods um at least that's what i believe um my influence personally uh i'm kind of a slow adapter with this stuff now i i was having pretty good results under my old coach and so i was kind of like don't you know, don't jump ships unless if there's a really good reason to. And so I've kind of sat back and watched and analyzed and, and really thought about it and eventually came to the conclusion that a more scientific approach was what was uh, going to be beneficial for me and help me get that margin. But I, I think there's a really important caveat that people haven't realized here um, is the Norwegians have created, you know, a lot of people changing or a lot of awareness, but I really believe that Jan Jan Frodeno has been doing this type of training with the scientific approach for the last 10 years. But what he did is he kept it top secret and he didn't let everyone know. And so he really had that edge and kept that edge. um, But he kept it secret so that he could keep that edge while they've, maybe it's just the modern day now, there's more social media, there's whatever, just everyone knows what everyone's doing. And so it's caught on now. But I really do believe that Jan was, was the starter of this. Um, and even I think you could actually go back to cycling because now that I look at of it, I spent a summer in Europe. I, I, feel triathlon lags behind what the pro cycling world is. And so Ineo started this almost two decades ago, you know, um, and then it slowly trickles down to triathlon and then suddenly it's like mainstream in triathlon, you know, 15 years after it was in pro cycling.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I recently did a podcast with Jim Walmsley, the the ultra runner. And, you know, clearly these, I mean, every athlete, whether you're, you know, a pro marathon runner, triathlete, you know, ultra runner, everyone's training at a high level, but it is interesting to see, you know, where kind of, you know, it starts somewhere, a new training technique, a new, you know, nutrition strategy. It starts in one sport. And like, it's amazing to me sometimes how long it takes to get to other sports, you know, cause sometimes sports are very insular, you know, runners are just looking at runners and triathletes are just looking at triathletes and cyclists are just looking at other cyclists, even though there's a, you know, they're all endurance sports, you know, the human body operates fairly similar across all these different disciplines. Um, but it, it's just interesting to me to see like, you know, what cyclists were doing, you know, 10 years ago, it's now happening in triathlon, you know, before you know it, it's going to be happening in ultra running, um, and so you did mention taking a more scientific approach and you did head to the Wahoo Sports Science Center in Boulder a couple of weeks ago. Um, first off, what was the intention of like, what did you hope to learn there? And then what was the battery of testing that you went through?
2: Yeah, exactly. So so one other caveat about the sports center, right? Neil Henderson, who's one of the sports physiologists here. like If you asked him, I think, oh, well, You know this lactate testing and and this new scientific approach it's brand new and started with the norwegians in triathlon he would probably look at you and say i've been doing this for 15 years (laughs) Um, yeah you know it's just uh suddenly boom there was a bomb and an explosion and now suddenly people are aware of it so that's what's that's what's really fascinating but i went there um now the best way to say it is like you can look at a and get a stopwatch out on a car and you can press go and You can see how fast the car goes how fast the car accelerates and then say you can go and you can measure the gas tank right um and and this would have been what my old training would have been like um is looking at it from the outside but what the sports what the wahoo sports center allowed me to do is to lift that hood up and suddenly you're tweaking more and you're figuring out well how come that car gets up to zero to 60 in 1.5 seconds how come that car's max speed is 100 miles and how come the gas tank runs out after 150 miles, um, it's really, that's really what we were doing at the Wahoo Sports Center. We did it both on the bike and on the run to figure out exactly, okay, these are the limiting performance factors from a physiology standpoint, from a cell standpoint, um, which then allows us, which allows my team to make training decisions based off that. And, And the full plan is not just to do that once, but to go back to the Wahoo Sports Center and then test and see, okay, we've seen these exact improvements, which then tells me, the training was effective or the training wasn't effective, which then allows us to tweak it. So it just, there's no hiding from weaknesses this way. And that's the real benefit from it.
0: Yeah. I had had a chance to go out there, I guess in August last year with the, with the Imani team, um, you know, and, and they did this probably Well, They didn't do the running or the swimming like you did, but they did do the bike test and I was blown away because I had, I had never done any testing like that. Um, but I was blown away to see the difference of physiology between three athletes that are all relatively comparable as far as performance. You know, if you look, if you looked at their kind of like what you're saying, you know, if you look at the final outcome, you look at whether it's race results or, you know, power to weight ratio, it's like, cool, they're all very similar physiologically. But then you do the testing, you know, we had, you know, sweat rate, we had metabolic, you know, metabolism of, you know, what, at what, you know, percentage of effort do they start, stop burning carbohydrates and start burning or stop burning fat and start burning carbohydrates and they were all over the place, you know, and, and they're completely different, even though that they perform relatively similar to each other in a race, you know, cause there's, there's variables in a race, especially in, in road race, you know, drafting and, you know, tactics, but to see how different they, you know, are physiological, like you said, from the inside, it's, it's pretty fascinating. So I assume, you know, you hadn't done much testing like that before. Did you learn a lot about kind of, you know, where you stand and, you know, places where you're, you know, you excel and where you're kind of already trained to to the limit in places that are, are weaknesses?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, on one hand, it's interesting to go in and, you know, obviously what we're doing when we measure these, yeah, you look at a race result and stuff and we try and guess to a way, oh, this is this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm bad at. So this is maybe what we should work on. And some of the stuff I was able to guess pretty well, um, but other stuff I went in and it's like, whoa, this is This is something that I thought was, I was really good at that actually I'm quite poor at, while another area is like, uh, sprinting, for example, is a great example for me. Okay, so we did an anaerobic capacity test, right? And if you look at my race results, I've, how many sprint finishes have I lost in the last few years? I've lost a lot of sprint finishes, but we go in and we look at it and boom, my anaerobic capacity is actually really, really good. So that tells us, Continuing to train my anaerobic capacity isn't what's going on here. it's it's something else which then allows uh, us to make really big decisions. And, and I am purposely being a little bit careful to not reveal too much because I think uh, I think it's good to keep some of this stuff a little bit secret.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm not trying to get all your, all your numbers out there into the public. Um, you know, but it does dawn on me when you look at, you know, a lot of the modern nutrition companies, you know, there's been huge strides in nutrition over the last, even just five years, you know, with, you know, the, the knowledge of, you know, this fructose to glucose ratio. And, you know, it used to be, oh, you need to consume at least, you know, 30 to 40 grams of carbs an hour. And then it went up to 60 to 90. And now they're finding some athletes who are well-trained, you know, you can absorb, you know, 120 or 150 grams of carbs an hour, which is which is huge. And so it's, I think it's harder for nutrition companies to put out a general label that says, Hey, eat, eat this an hour, you know, take one gel or take, you know, one gel in one bar every hour because everyone's different, you know, and you being a, an athlete who's putting in, you know, more volume than, you know, probably most cyclists and, and definitely most, you know, marathon runners, your metabolic, you know, absorption and usage, you know, you're also a big, a big yeah. dude. It's going to be different. Um, you know is that something that you learned about as well it was just your your fuel usage over you know the course of a race
2: yeah so and that's actually the main reason i wanted to go in um is is thinking long term about okay this iron man and and how do i really come after this iron man and and see the true level of performance i'm capable of and yeah I'm, I'm a big guy i put out a lot of power so my energy needs are massive which means my energy intake is also massive and so it was pretty enlightening to see uh, the amount of calories i'm burning and the amount of calories i need to be taking in and so the only way to really work on that at my size um i'm already reaching the upper limit i'm taking in 130 carbs an hour in a race um with no issues um but i i'm getting to the upper limit of what we can possibly push that to and so what i have to do is improve my fat burning rate um in order to improve the iron man it's it's that simple and um this made it as clear as day. If I don't do that, then I'm going to bonk at some point in a seven and a half hour race. It's just a matter of when or why well, I have to slow down and be way out of contention. So uh, so that's the process that I'm now committed to.
0: Well, and I guess that's a question for you. And in triathlon, you know, we kind of mentioned Team Sky. And when I was there, I guess the first year is 2013. You know, they, they there was a huge emphasis on these low carbohydrate training rides. Um, you know, where essentially we'd have, you know, A normal, I mean, it's funny how you kind of say how like kind of things trickle and, and, you know, someone hears something and they start doing the wrong thing. So we were doing low carbohydrate training rides where we would, you know, oftentimes you have a coffee for breakfast, but you'd have like an omelet. You know, you'd have, you know, three eggs, ham and cheese, you know, before the ride, you'd go on the ride and you'd just be drinking whey protein. Or, you know, at the time we were working with a nutrition company that did a, a protein gel as well. And we'd be doing that for like the first three or four hours of a ride. And then at which point, you know, you could kind of switch over to carbohydrates, but it was a super low intensity ride. And of course we were doing that and other teams, you know, through the grape, you ever played that game telephone? Yeah. Or like, you know, okay. and, the, and the, you, you say elephant and it comes back, you know, rhinoceros and you're like, how did that happen? You know, and other teams started doing no breakfast rides because, you know, somehow they heard, Oh, team sky's doing these no breakfast. It's like, no, we were eating breakfast just not carbohydrates in the morning. But it's amazing how much that's even changed now where, you know, we were just doing it kind of from the morning through the ride. And now it's become like athletes doing intervals the night before, like a split day to deplete carbohydrates and then, you know, have low carbohydrate meal following the training and then a low carbohydrate breakfast and then doing a long endurance ride to try to increase their, you know, fat utilization. Because in a, in a bike race, you know, it, you may not be able to stay in the fat utilization because, you know, the race may start up a climb and you're hoping to keep it steady, but in Ironman or triathlon. You have much more control over your pacing. So, you know, ideally you can figure out, okay, how can I be more efficient in, you know, in that fat burning state, or how can I raise the level of my fat burning state? Um, is that something you have done in the past or something you're like looking to maybe implement in the future is more of this, you know, low carb training because it, it really is a fine line and it's, you know, the interesting thing is I feel like certain athletes, especially from lo- different locations perform with it better. You know, I feel like myself, I could do tons of low carb training, but it does take away my, my punch. Uh, I'm not sure if you've experimented with it, but you know, when the three Kenyan riders were here from, from the Imani team, you know, they would eat six slices of bread with maple syrup for breakfast and that's it. Like only carbohydrates. I'm like, whoa, that's, you know, like they're just running on carbohydrates, but yet we're, you know, we can go out and ride together and both, you know, perform at the same level. They just are using a completely different fuel source than I am.
2: Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And this is like what I'm just figuring out with. I've never really experimented with it much before. The only thing I've ever really done is uh, like, fasted runs, but very, very short fasted runs. I'm talking like 30 or 40 minutes. I'd wake up. I would have a few sips of coffee and I'd go and run for 30 minutes and then come back and eat a massive breakfast kind of thing. So obviously, uh, that maybe did a little bit, but not a lot because that's only 30 minutes in a, in a race is multiple hours. And so now the coach I'm working with, like where I actually have my first, my first fasted bike ride tomorrow uh, of my whole life and so it's sort of that's the idea you know we have a hard training session this afternoon uh threshold repeats of course i take in as many carbs as i want and then um i'm not allowed to have any carbohydrates at dinner which i'm like whoa i always have carbs at dinner but how <laughs> it's, it's a little different and then i i wake up and yeah no carbs uh it's actually even uh no breakfast i think um but I can, have, I can have fat and I can eat that throughout the ride um, for two hours. Um, and then at two hours, I'll start to take in, in carbs. Um, and the idea is we'll slowly ramp this up um, and the intensity is quite easy. Um, but exactly like you said, the balance is trying to figure out this while not losing my top end power because um, the, the middle distance is still my focus for next year. So I'm much more concerned about actually raising my thresholds than I am uh, right now about uh, potentially raising my fat burning at the expense of threshold. So I really want to do both, which which makes it a complicated equation. Um, which is why I think figuring out the exact balancing points are interesting. But it's super interesting. You said, yeah, different parts of the world, because you know my good my good training partner uh, and friend Tyler Butterfield. We were talking, and he has fantastic fat burning, and he's from uh, he he grew up a lot in Australia, and he said, you know, there everyone wakes up super early before school. One because it's hot, and so they're they're up at five a.m. So it's just a time crunch thing. They don't even eat anything, and boom, they go ride their bike for two two hours every day. And so he's done that for when he was like fifteen to twenty five, kind of thing. So his fat burning's terrific. While me, it's actually interesting over time. My breakfast wish. My in high school, my parents were always like, "Oh, you need to have a hearty American breakfast." So it was always like eggs and sausage, you know, or eggs and bacon. So protein and fat. But of course, I wasn't. I wasn't really training a lot. I was going and sitting in a classroom. And then uh, I think what happened with me is I trained so much and my volume and my intensity are quite high that I actually found myself relying more and more on carbohydrates the last few years uh, to the point where I was having extremely high glycemic index foods just all the time. And so I just need to find a little bit more of a balancing point. And, and I think uh, I think things will go yeah miraculously actually.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it really is this fine line. And I guess anyone who's out there listening, like don't just go and start doing fasted rides or runs because it really is, you know, there, and you're working with, you know, a coach who knows what they're doing and they're, you're going to be monitoring. It. You're going to be like, you know, checking in with how you're feeling, you know, because the other, I guess, danger is like, you know, you start to lose muscle. You actually like start too slowly. And this happened to me my first year at Sky is like, I got so into these low carb rides. I became so efficient but i became so slow. You know, i remember i'd go to a race and you know, i'd start eating i'd have my, you know, first bowl of rice or oatmeal in the morning before a race cuz i just did low carb at home and i would just start sweating cuz my body's like, "Whoa, we have not eaten this many carbs in one wow. in one sitting." You know, and, and so it really is, you know, and, and this is kind of one thing that, you know, sky implemented was kind of, you know, carbohydrate and, you know, fat and protein consumption based around the meals that or based on the training that you're doing, you know, obviously if you're going to go out and do intervals, you need carbohydrates. Your body's going to be burning through carbohydrates, but if you're just going to do a long, you know, long endurance day or, you know, predominantly ride or run, you, you can probably operate on more, on more food, you know, more fats and proteins. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how your body adapts, you know, and I think obviously you said from your diet, from, from high school to when you started training more changed, you know, that's the amazing thing with the body is that you can, you can train it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how your body adapts, you know, because there are, you know, carbohydrates do become, you know, and and we know this, they're such a valuable fuel source for, for performance, you know, and that was kind of my, one of the things I struggled with at team sky was, you know, there's always this talk of like, Hey, low carb training, low carb training, then we get to a race, i like, Oh, you need to eat more. You need to eat more carbs. I'm like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. You just told me I needed to not eat as many carbs and now I need to eat more carbs. Um, you know, so it is this whole fine line of, you know, kind of, you know, what, I guess what was the, the three T's, um, that our nutritionists like timing, type and total, you know, so the timing of your food, you know, the type of food you're eating and then the total kind of how that fits into your total, you know, daily consumption versus, you know, daily burned calories. Um, it was really, it was really fascinating. I'm glad I don't have to, you know, follow those orders anymore. <laughs> um, but, but it, it, you, you do learn a lot and, you know, and I'm sure it's changed, you know, like I said, even since, you know, I was doing that back in 2013 up to 2018 and, you know, it continues to evolve. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of where that journey takes you. And, you know, especially with, you know, the, you're going to find, you know, a unique place, I guess, with, you know, the middle distance, triathlon because the intensity is still high. You know, it's not like you're going to do a 10 hour event where like, you can just like settle into this fat burning state. You need to be, you know, kind of high octane at the same time.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think it's all the nuance is what makes it so fascinating. And also I think what makes it so that you really have to have, you either have to really know what you're doing or you have to have help with someone who really knows what they're doing because I'd always lived the last two years with this kind of mantra around food and it was, it's carbs are king, you know, and because and I looked at what the Kenyan marathon runners are doing and you look at their diet and it's extremely high carbohydrate. But if you look at it, these top Kenyan marathoners are finishing the marathon in two hours or just two hours and a few minutes. And so they're actually not running into glycogen depletion um, and stuff. And so it's really, they can do that. While well. if you look at yeah, world tour cyclists. if you look at yourself over the Tour de France, like it's three weeks, you have to have very good fat burning. And then triathlon is like dead split. You really don't have to have good fat burning if you want to do well at the 70.3 distance. Um, you really don't. But if you want to do good at the forearm and you have to have good fat burning. So us triathletes, if you want to do both distances, we're right in the middle where you have to figure out that balancing point.
0: And so for you know, you're kind of, you did some of this testing to kind of learn about your physiology, which definitely will help you, you know, in the short term, but are you looking at doing some, returning to some full length this coming year, or are you looking at kind of keeping that on the back burner until, you know, you said your your golden thirties?
2: No, I'll definitely still do at least one Ironman every year. Um, I think that, I think the fine point is one to two, um, Ironmans a year, as opposed to three to five, which I had been doing the last few years. Um, so I'm still doing some, we're at an interesting place, of course. Like uh, I was actually, last year, I was really looking forward to making a push for Kona and and making Kona a big focus here in 2023, uh, especially after declining to go in 2022. Uh, I mean, I had my spot since I qualified for Kona back in 2019. Um, so, wow. uh, you know, I thought, oh, I'd go in 2020. I thought, oh, I'd go in 2021. And then in 2022, I decided to focus on 70.3 world champs with a focus on Kona in 2023. And now, now the goalpost has been moved on me yet again. We don't have Kona. So now I'm like, okay, I want to make Kona my focus in 2024. Now so suddenly I'm, I've moved five years back, basically, uh, sort of without my, uh, own consent, but, uh, I'll likely do one end of season to try and get that qualification done, um, to make 2024 look really good from an Ironman, uh, focus standpoint. Um, but yeah, that's the plan.
0: Well, because if I'm correct, they're moving the World Championships. I guess, I mean, people refer to Ironman Kona as Kona, but that is also the World Championships. Is it right they're moving that to Nice for 2023?
2: Yeah, we haven't uh, had confirmation. Those are rumors. It sounds like they're fairly secure rumors, but uh, there's no way to know for sure until we get the announcement. So right now, as professional men, uh, as we plan our calendar, we don't know where the Ironman World Championships is and we don't know when because uh, basing it off of rumor isn't the best way to to do it. Um, so yeah, we're all just kind of waiting, sitting, wishing, hoping, wanting to hear the information, but uh, at the same point, we have to commit to other races and plan the season. Well, I mean, how does that,
0: I mean, as someone who you know is in that space, how does it feel for like the main event to the then be moved away from like the iconic i mean because i i tuned in to watch the iron man this year kona this year um you know and just all like the you know what is you know the energy lab and there's all these like you know little like zones that are you know they're the same every year you know they attacked at this point and this you know this drive or whatever it is but then if that all sudden moves to you know to nice or if they you know obviously a couple years ago you know they put it in uh saint george you know does that feel like it loses some of its you know, kind of history or does it, I mean, as an athlete is, you know, the world championships are the world championships and it doesn't really matter where it is. Maybe it's good to mix up the course because, you know, the conditions in Kona are so unique and, you know, oftentimes favor specific athletes over others.
2: Yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm really trying to be open-minded about it. Uh, actually, it's interesting. My mindset sort of switched. I thought, oh, like Kona is just an island in Hawaii. Um, let, let's maybe move it around. Let's switch it up. And then I competed in the Armor World Championships here in St. George uh, last year in May. And I thought, oh, it's going to be the same thing as going to Kona. And like, granted, I had a bad race. So it's like somewhat hard to separate my experience from that. But at the same time, like even within the race, I was like, this doesn't feel like I'm, you know, riding in what I've watched people do on the Queen K highway. And I'm not going up to Javi. And it, it just didn't have the same epicness to it that I thought it would have, which then sort of made me feel like, okay, this, the most epic ones are in Kona. I and mean, then even if you looked at it from a media standpoint, it was like, great, you know, these are the people who won Ironman St. George and people talked about it for like two weeks. And then, oh, these are the people who won Kona this year. And that was like a much, much bigger deal. And people talked about it way more and, and people were way more excited about it. And so it's going to be hard for the sport to get away from Kona. Um, but at the same time, we do need to be open-minded and flexible and It is a somewhat cool structure, I guess, to rotate every other year. Um, Of course, just, I think we need to know (laughs) and it'd be nice to get information about it earlier uh, rather than later. And it's also, I mean, it's going to be weird having the girls and guys isolated. I feel for a lot of these age groupers, I know they like to even pros, we like to travel to races together with our partners. Um, It's fun to not just have uh, one gender there. It kind of evens things out a bit, but also, especially age groupers, a lot of them are, athlete couples so they go and they race together and now it's like how do you travel to two different places uh to meet both you know people's needs basically
0: yeah well i guess especially the age groupers you know you might be in a triathlon group in you know san diego or tucson and you might say like hey our whole our you know five of us qualified we're all going to go together we're going to rent a house and now it's like oh well actually only you know two of the five are going to go this weekend and then you know the other three are going to go next weekend or whatever it may be which like does seem logistically a little bit more of a of a headache
2: yeah exactly so yeah i mean we'll see what happens but uh yeah i'm still trying to be open-minded and and positive about it all
0: well looking ahead to this coming year um when will when will your first race be and then what is your what is your key focus for the coming year target target race yeah so when are we gonna see sam at his best
2: i think my my first race is going to be challenge miami uh obviously i won it last year the races are super fun there on the race tracks there's great media coverage it's just hard fast great racing so i'm really looking forward to that where i'll be at my best uh i'm not really shooting for any one peak I'm, i'm hoping to be at my best at multiple of the pto middle distance races those are going to be my main focus I think it requires uh, a slightly different approach as opposed to like, oh, this is the one big peak. This is the world championship of the year. I mean, they're gonna have four of these events plus the Collins Cup. So that's, that's like five major events. So it's instead of trying to figure out, oh, I need to be this little bit better on this one day. It's like, I have to just be really, really good on, on you know four different days of the year. Um, and, and trying to figure out exactly how to do that is, is yeah quite an interesting problem.
0: And I have one final question for you that just came to my mind. Um, You know, we didn't get to see Jan race much this past year. And I I believe he's, you know, hoping to kind of make a comeback this year. If Jan is at his best and the two Norwegian Gustav and what's the gentleman's name? Christian, yeah, Christian. Christian, if they're all at their best, let's say say next year there was a Kona Ironman in October. If they're all at their best, who would win?
2: Yeah, it's uh, I think it's hard to say. I, the biggest question I think there is what has age done to Jan? Um, I mean, we, we really haven't seen him since 2019 and, you know, I think he's going to be gone on 42 now. So I'm 38, 37 to 42. That's, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm only 27 years old, so I don't know what happens. <laughs> to that age. Um, but you usually see people fall off a bit, but Jan has also, he's kind of the Tom Brady of our sport and he's sort of defied odds and I think if you looked at Jan in 2019, uh, he's the undeniable favorite, no matter who shows up. But time has changed that. Um, obviously, Gustav kind of showed, like, if it's in Hawaii, he's he's really the one to beat. So it's uh, that sport, man. We got to tune in and we got to watch, you know. And and as a pro from the outside or from the inside, I don't know if I'm on the outside or the inside. I got to be like, how do I get to that level of performance? And and how do I do that uh, as efficiently and as well as possible? And And that's the question I'm faced with. Yeah, well, I
0: uh, appreciate you taking the time. We'll definitely get you back in in the lab out there in Boulder with with Neil and the team out there. And, uh, yeah, look forward to catching up with you later this season and, and good luck with, uh, yeah, I guess your first event of the year down in Miami.
2: Yeah, thank you so much, Ian, and it's great to be a Wahoo again, and I appreciate all the support from Wahoo. Absolutely, man.
0: Well, there we have it, folks. Another episode of Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. I hope you all enjoyed today's show and my chat with professional triathlete Sam Long. Hopefully, you all picked up a few little tidbits about some of the sports science lingo and strategies and topics we touched on. We'll definitely dive back into that at some point later in the year, maybe bringing on Neil Henderson or someone else from Wahoo Sports Science. A real wealth of knowledge, and it always opens my eyes to realize that even a top-performing athlete like Sam is still learning along his journey. So, folks... Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll catch you back here on Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. And in closing, I would like to say once again, this episode was edited and produced by my friend, Tom Wallace.